Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison, here to tell you GEICO has more than just great savings. Much more. GEICO's been around for more than 75 years, back when they were using Morse code. Sorry, that's just my sense of humor. What's more, with GEICO, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents on the app, online, or over the phone, so you can talk to them at night or in the morning. So forevermore, just know that no other auto insurer has more more than GEICO. More power to you. GEICO. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Welcome to another edition of the Superfloid Podcast, your Rococo NBA podcast. I'm your host, Joe Borelli, as always, and it is Monday, December 19th, 2016. Welcome back, friends. Sorry I missed you about a week there. Um, You know, plans get switched around, and I've got a lot on my plate these days, and uh, sometimes I just don't have time to do this this labor of love that I like to call it. and come hang out with you guys, hang out with my friends. So, sorry about that. I'll try and do this more regularly. But, uh, you know, the holidays are coming up and, like, you know, there's we got to go see family. We're going to be traveling, as I'm sure most of you are as well, buying gifts. And, like, at work, man, work has been ridiculously hectic, you know, trying to not only do the daily day-to-day things, but I'm also trying to set up for the time when we're not there. So, I'm, you know, going to be on vacation the week between Christmas and New Year's, and, uh, well, things still have to run without me. Um, not, I'm not tooting my own horn, I'm just saying. Things still have to run, and so I have to make sure things are in place to run. And I, I, I know you don't know what I do for a living, but it's fine, you don't need to. Let's just say that it's very uh, detail-oriented and um, need to make sure that things get to be where they're going and coming and going and making sure that Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, how's things, guys and gals, in uh, in podcast land? Have you been listening to good podcasts lately? I hope so. I have. Um, you know, I always have my standards, my my NBA ones, and then, uh, you know, This American Life, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I love, and, uh, you know, Mark Maron. I'm just rambling. But, um, you know, I thought maybe you'd like to hear it. Um, you know, so let's talk about me. Let's talk about my mental state these days. Do I sound down? I shouldn't. Life is fine. Things are great. Um, 2016 has been a fucking pisser of a year, man. Like, we've lost a lot of people. We lost Prince. We lost David Bowie. We lost Jaja Gabor yesterday. We lost, um... Our president, who I love dearly. And uh, I'm very tense and uh, uh, unsure and um, scared for the future of this country right now. Um, But aside from that, we've lost a lot of good celebrities, you know. It's, It's, I mean, not just celebrities, but like, you know. People in our personal lives have, I mean, everyone's been, so, all right, so this is what I'm getting to. Let me, let me just stop. Um, you know, everyone has been touched by this horrible, horrible thing, cancer. Uh, I don't think there's anybody in this country, our world, really, that hasn't been affected by 
you know, the tragedy of cancer and taking loved ones often way too soon. And the NBA family is no different. Um, this past week, uh, Craig Sager passed away from cancer. And I'm not going to eulogize him because I didn't know the man. Um, I really enjoyed his colorful outfits. And he seemed like an excellent human being on the sideline reporting. So, you know, I my my condolences go out to him and his family or his family. And um, there were a lot of NBA tributes. A lot of people think that, you know, uh, Steve Kerr did a great job with his tribute to him. And, I, you know, I'm not even going to talk about it much. I'm just going to say that, like... It's sad, and he was a fighter, and I think that's what he's going to be known for, aside from his, you know, reporting on the sideline um, and his rapport with Greg Popovich, which we all love. Um, you know, it's just sad. It's it's we've all been touched by this this horrible thing, and uh, you know, let's. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I feel bad for everyone involved, but you know, I think the important thing is. In life, you know, we always, or I, or we, everyone, we mourn we mourn the loss of loved ones. And it's a really hard, tragic thing. And it's like something that you never really get over. And they, you know, especially people that are very close to you and they're very part of, very, you know, part of the fabric of your being, of what makes you you. And like when you take that away, it's really tough to overcome. Um, but I think we also need to remember that, you know, these people, if they meant so much to us, we really need to celebrate their lives and celebrate what they were and what they did and, and the positive things they brought to this world. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I should just stop talking about this altogether. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not skilled at saying things in general, or I shouldn't be. This isn't fun. This isn't funny. Um I should keep this lighthearted. But anyway, um, yeah, Craig Sager, you will be missed. And uh, that's all. Hopefully 2017 is better, although I doubt it. Um, then 2016 has been for all of our mental states. Uh, yeah, that's all. I got not much. Um, I found out one thing last week that, um, you know, you should never, if you're going to go run outdoors in the cold um, and you think that, like, your spandex will just operate as a, uh, a set of underwear if you're going to wear shorts over top of them. Don't do it. There's lots of chafing that happens. It's not fun. It's not a good experience. I don't recommend it. I don't think I'll ever do it again. Um, you know what I was thinking? I was like, well, you know, it's a, the, the day was like moderately warm and it was kind of nice out. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, I don't want to dirty another pair of underwear when I'm just going to go, you know, just go for an hour run. And like, you know, this is a gross subject. I'm sorry, but chafing man chafing it's it's an awful thing it's awful it's fucking horrible don't don't always wear something always wear something you know i didn't think like i always hear about people doing marathons and stuff and running long distances and they have problems with their nipples and okay so when i did the half marathon this year i also i mean i here's my thing i i don't normally have problems with my nipples roughing or chafing because like i you know whatever it just doesn't occur for me i guess um I did during the marathon, the half marathon, because I pinned my freaking thing to my chest and I had the, I had one of the pins right on my left nipple. Oh my God, that hurt so bad. After 13 miles, having a metal bar rub. Oh, but anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, you should always, 
But the point of the matter is you should always wear protective garments underneath the garments that you're wearing just to be sure that you're not going to experience some discomfort in the long run. Um, I'm glad I went from talking about death and cancer to talking about chafing. This is, I'm all over the place today. But, you know, I just wanted to say, hi, guys. This is my life. Welcome to my crazy world. It's not that crazy. Um, and I've missed you. And uh, I hope you missed me, too. Anyway. So tonight, I have Trevor Magnati coming on, and we're going to talk about uh, the Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and their chances at repeating at the championship. And we're going to preview a little bit of their uh, Christmas Day game with the Warriors. And we're going to, yeah, just talk about LeBron's historic season. Um, And all things Cavs. So this is the point in the show where I tell you, if you don't like the Cleveland Cavaliers, ooh, um... Maybe tune out. I hope my uh, my opening diatribe didn't go too short for you. I know you're so interested in the things that I have to say in my interesting, interesting life. Um, anyway, that's all. But, you know, I also, you know what, I, here's here's one more thing. Um, and this is actually NBA related. I asked, or I tweeted out, you know, if you guys don't follow along with the show on Twitter, you can follow at uh, SuperFlightPod, at SuperFlightPod. Uh, and when I tweeted out last week, because I knew this was going to get pushed back and rescheduled, I said, well, I was thinking about doing a show last week by myself, and it's really difficult for me to do one of these by myself. I do like to ramble, but my thoughts are honestly not that coherent, and they kind of weave in and out in case you hadn't noticed. But I asked for listener questions, and I said, if you want to hear me talk about something, if you want me to do my own podcast by myself... Um, shoot me up, shoot me up. No, don't shoot me up. Hit me up with a question and I will answer it. So I did get one that I want to answer and it comes from, um, my good friend. Oh, by the way, um, shout out again to the fuzz NBA podcast in Australia. Uh, I don't know if you guys listened to last week, but Michael Keith came on and we talked and, um, we had a really good time, hung out in New York and, and uh, spent some time together, me and my wife and him and his lady. And uh, it was it was a blast. And awesome dude. And I highly recommend you check uh, the fuzz out. Those guys are freaking awesome. Also, yeah, I get some really good stories about Byron James, Michael's partner in crime. Um, I can't share those on the air, but just let me tell you, they make these guys so much cooler. Some of the hilarious, most hilarious uh, bits of information i've ever received awesome awesome stories awesome guys uh highly recommend checking them out anyway got a question from uh michael harris at obuck vintage and the question is uh should the sixers make it their mission to have a better record than the wolves or tank for a better pick and cool i'll answer the question as best as i can because you know whatever this is what i do um they're not in direct competition so it's a little bit not a weird question. It's just I think it's building a sort of uh, rivalry that's not there. Um, so that's fine. But um, should they get a better pick? Well, here's the thing. I don't think that the Sixers are going to finish better than the top three anyway. Um, and I, I really wouldn't worry about them like getting bad for the sake of another pick. They're kind of in a sort of tumultuous situation with 
Nolan's Noel right now, which is a whole different conversation. But I think that that's he's a little bit of a locker room cancer. And up until last night, the last couple of games when they were trying to start uh, Joel Embiid and and um, uh, Okafor together, it just kind of it's not going to work. It's it's just a shit show there. Um, so honestly, if they keep trying to do this experiment when it's starting the Twin Towers, uh, I don't think they're going to have to worry about trying to get a better pick. Um, so really, I think the question is. Should the Sixers try and play better or should they try and get worse? Uh, the direct competition with the Wolves doesn't really exist, but I kind of get it, um, especially since like the Wolves, I, I think for a bit of the Sixers fandom, the Wolves picks of Carl Anthony Towns and um, Andrew Wiggins, we felt like should have probably been ours those last two seasons just because the Sixers were bad and the boss just didn't roll their way. Um, you know, that's the luck of the lottery. It's fine. And that was Sam's plan. Sam Hinkie's plan was that, Nick, you need to maximize your luck. And I think that was the whole idea is that you're not always going to hit on a Carl Anthony Towns. You're not always going to hit on Andrew Wiggins. But if you gamble enough, you're going to hit on something. And I think he did that perfectly with Joel Embiid. And nobody knew that he would actually play. We were all hoping. I don't think anybody saw him being this good. Um, and so... I'm not upset so much anymore about the Carl Anthony Towns thing and the Andrew Wiggins thing. Uh, I, I did, you know, piss me off a little bit there, especially when like local Philadelphia media was all, you know, shitting on Sam for like these supposed bad picks. Uh, and I think honestly, the only one that he made that was bad was Jill Okafor. And my God, I wish they would get him off this team. I would. So- Here's the tragedy about Nerlens Noel being uh, disgruntled right now. And, Sorry, again, I'm all over the place on this, but um, he's been benched now. Even though he's healthy, he's just a healthy scratch because he didn't keep his mouth shut. And it's the team's right to do that. And it's Noel's right to be pissed because he's way better of a player than A, than Jaleel Okafor, and B, than to be coming off the bench like in sporadic moments. Um, The real tragedy is for me is that we're never going to get to see Joel Embiid and Nerlens Noel play together. Uh, I would have really liked to see what that pairing looked like just for the defensive potential. They would have been ball hawking, like dominating in the paint. Um, Not necessarily ball hawking on the perimeter, but I don't think you would have gotten anybody in the paint uh, anywhere near them. And then they both have quick enough, well, especially Noel, his hands are so supremely quick and like his he's so good at steals and just he's his lateral movement his lateral quickness is so damn good so fast but I, I just he's quick enough to cover the perimeter in spots as is no I mean Embiid a little bit um I just like I don't think it would work overall for long periods of time like offensively you have two centers playing together but I think that matchup would be way better than Okafor I just want Okafor off this team I'm sure I don't have anything against Okafor personally. I'm sure he's going to be great for another team. This is not the one, and I wish if they're going to trade Noel, just send Okafor with him already. Um, this needs to be Joel and be the team. Anyway, uh, getting back to the question at hand. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, I don't. So the, again, there's no direct competition with the Wolves, especially since the Wolves are in the West and the the Sixers are in the East, and like the, they have nothing to gain from beating the Wolves, and the Wolves have nothing to gain from beating them, other than just pure record and lottery standings. Although, I think a lot of people thought that the Wolves would be so much better than they are this year, and me included. I didn't know that they would make the playoffs, but I definitely thought they were going to be better than their record, which is, what, 7-20 and 20 now or something? No, that's the Sixers' record. But it's very near that. Um, 
so I think just for pride's sake, maybe that's what we're talking about. Yeah, um, I would say, listen, I would love the Sixers. I, you know, here's the thing. If Ben Simmons comes back this season and he's healthy and Joel Embiid stays healthy and Ben Simmons is what we think he's going to be and you've got the opportunity to add another really high pick in this draft this year, I don't really give a shit if that's a top three pick. Honestly, if it's apparently this draft is really loaded with point guards, which is kind of what they need, uh, and maybe perimeter players, like, you know, a shooting guard would be excellent or a small forward would be amazing. Uh, they have enough power forwards and centers. Um, I think that uh, it's it's weird, too, because both of these teams are not really going to benefit that much from having another high pick. They're both kind of sort of set with the players they got. You can't add, you can't keep adding first round picks. I mean, high first round picks every year. It's just going to, like we saw, this is what happens when you, you know, draft three centers in a row, three really highly touted, very, very uh, talented centers, and they just don't work together, you know? So like the same thing happens. Um, Anyways, so that said, yeah, I would love it for the Sixers to have a better record than the Wolves, just for pride's sake. I mean, I don't want them to finish like, with a 30-win record. I mean, don't get me wrong. As a fan, I always want to see them finish with, you know, a really good record. Uh, and I think if they did finish with a 30-win record, that would just say that, man, they've really started to gel. Joel Embiid is amazing. Uh, ben Simmons has come back, and he's also amazing. And there's a huge bright spot for the future. It would be awesome. Uh, they're not in direct competition, so I would just say that I think wherever they both land is fine. And I don't know if that really answers the question. Um, but thanks for sending it in anyway. Um, yeah, so I'll stop rambling. I've said enough and we'll be right back. So Trevor, welcome to the super flight podcast. Why don't you start off by uh, telling everyone where they can follow you and how they can read your stuff. Hey, how's it going? Um, so you can follow follow me um, on Twitter at Illegal Screens, um, and then you can find my, find my stuff at Fear the Sword. Um, I also write for Fan Sided for the Step Back, um, doing Euro uh, European basketball coverage and draft stuff. So you know, every time I have a new guest on, I always like to talk about their fandom and how they became a fan of their favorite team. So do you mind telling me how you started following the Cavs and uh, and why you write about them? Yeah, so um, I I kind of took like a backwards route through um, get it, becoming a Cavs fan. Um, so I went to Ohio University for grad school, and that was right around the time that I was starting to get into or get into basketball blogging. Um, I had like I was basically running this little Tumblr account that had like a hundred followers on it. Um, nice. So that. Uh, um, so at, at the time I got, I got picked up by, um, write down Euclid, um, a cat, uh, cabs blog on the fan sided network, which is now King James gospel, I believe. Um, and they, it was basically, I got approached by approached by the, fa- um, someone at fan sided and they were like, we want to offer you a writing position. What team would you like to write for? And I was like, Oh, it'll be easy for me to, um, for me to watch Cavs games while I'm in Ohio, I'm going to grad school. So I'll pick the Cavs and it just kind of fostered naturally from there. Keep in mind, this was back in 2013. So like right in the middle of the Byron Scott era. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't, 
you know, I wasn't a Cavs fan through the first LeBron run. I wasn't a Cavs fan at the point of the decision. I mean, I liked LeBron. I liked watching the team, but I never really like would consider would have considered myself a fan of them. I, um, growing up in Chicago, I was always kind of a nominal Bulls fan, but um, you know, really just like the league at large, and then kind of through the through that kind of grew into grew organically into a Cavs fan um and really got really got my education um in Cleveland Twitter um through those two years just um just with how bad uh how bad they were and kind of how and how insane it was in the in the post LeBron era but now he's back and they won a title and you know it's a really kind of really kind of took the bet took the backward back door um to be to becoming a fan of the of the team and then you know it's kind of surreal to have them win a title you know yes. four years basically after you after you become a fan of the team <laughs> <laughs> well <clears throat> i wish i could say that about the sixers but oh um that's my team but <laughs> but uh yeah you know what a time to be a fan man like you think you're surprised you're only a fan for four years they've they've not had a a winning team in whatever, I think, or at least since when was the last time Cleveland sports won anything? The thirties or something like that. 1964, the Cleveland Browns won an NFL championship. All right, so the sixties, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but you know, so good time, been- good time to get in, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, well, let's. That's cool. Let's. Uh, so, are you from? You, you just went to school in Cleveland or in Ohio? You're not. You're not from Ohio. No, I'm originally from Chicago. Oh, right. You just said um, the nominal Bulls fan. Sorry, it's been a really long weekend. It's only Monday already. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Cavs. So they're nine yeah. and, nineteen and six, right? And then honestly, mm-hmm. they look like they're not even trying to win games half the time. They're just like coasting because they're just really that good, I think. Um, and I'm just like, you know, as 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 an NBA fan. Like, we go into the season wanting to think that, like, there are teams that are going to be able to challenge. Like, that that everybody has a shot. I mean, it's not like the NFL where there's parity, like, and, and at this point, the parity in the NFL is just making everyone bad. But it's not like, you know, any team can challenge. We pretty much know going in that, like, there's going to be a few teams that are going to be the best in the league. And then those are the ones that are going to vie for the championship. And Cleveland is definitely that, obviously, since last year. They didn't lose any pieces. They brought the same guys back, and they, they look just amazing. And if you have LeBron on your team to, to begin with, you're going to be a damn good team. But, like, do you think there's anybody else in the East, like Toronto or Charlotte or the Bulls maybe, Detroit, Boston, Milwaukee, any of these teams, you think anybody could actually give them a run for their money? I mean, I definitely, I definitely think Toronto's the the one team that's going to give them the biggest challenge come playoff time. Um, they the Cavs have won the three games in the season series um, this year, but they've all been pretty close. Um, and that te- that team just matches it matches up pretty well pretty well with the Cavs. They've got size inside, um, which the Cavs do not, um, and they can use guys like Jonas Valanciunas and. Um, to uh, really kind of carve out the middle of uh, the Cavs defense, which has kind of been a kind of been a soft spot. They've got multiple isolation scorers. They've got a bunch of nice, long, athletic defensive players that can handle the cat, the Cavs wings. They rotate really well um, to 
um, to cover open shooters. Um, and you know, when, when a team, they might not be the best defensive team, but when they're bet, their kind of calling card is defending the type of play that the Cavs try to run as their bread and butter, um, kind of swinging passes, it passes around the outside, looking for open, open shooters. Um, and then, you know, if they can't find anything driving to driving to the rim, the Raptors are pretty good at defending both of those. Um, so they're able to really, um, do do a good job of, of sticking with it, with this team on the defensive end. Um, I, I just think their their talent level is high enough to really um, or to really give them a challenge. And that you know it's a it's a matchup that the Cavs don't have a, a super um, don't have a super strong advantage in. Like you said, you said Charlotte. Charlotte's a really really good team, but for whatever reason, over the past over the past three years, they've had no chance anytime that they played the Cavs, just because it's a bad matchup. They don't have, um, you know, they they don't have really good um, off offensive game plan for the way that the Cavs defend. Um, the the Cavs can take advantage of their defense. Um, through driving and uh, through hitting some hitting some of those pick and pop plays, mm-hmm. uh, like Kevin Love and Channing Frye, um, and for whatever reason they ju- they just destroy the Hornets a majority of the time that they play that the teams play each other. So you know I'm not really worried about sh- uh, Charlotte. Not really worried about Boston, um, just be just because you know they don't have the they don't have the uh, defense this year that really I think is going to be able to stop um, Cleveland. Um, it's really just Toronto that I, I'd be worried about as a potential challenge for the Cavs in the East. Yeah, I would maybe throw Detroit in there too because they also have that inside size game, you know, um, that could give Cleveland problems. But they just don't seem to be able to put it together this year right now for some reason. Um, <clears throat> but so, and they, you know, Toronto has played Cleveland, what, you said three times already or twice? Mm-hmm. and. And they can't seem to get over the hump. So I'm just like wondering, like, what is it that Toronto could do? What are they missing? I mean, a fact, aside from the fact that they're missing LeBron, who's probably one of the top five greatest players of all time, you know, what are they? What would they need to do to get over that hump? What What do you think would need to happen for somebody to, besides LeBron being out with an injury, what would what would be the thing? I mean, like Toronto right now has a really great offense. They have the best offense in the league, and I think their second unit with. Um, uh, I forget what they're calling it now. The lineup of extinction or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, somebody coined this cute phrase. Um, like they're better than the, the, the Golden State Warriors were last year with their death lineup. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's going to pan out for the entire season. It seems like it's probably going to regress a bit, but they're really good on offense. And still, they just can't seem to get over the hump to beat Cleveland in any way. What would, they, what would it take for them to do it? What are they missing? Yeah, I, th- I think you hit the na- hit the nail on the head with the uh, you know you jokingly said they don't have they don't have LeBron, but the the biggest the biggest problem for them is they don't have a matchup for LeBron on the defensive end. Um, you know he his ability to play on the on the perimeter and drive um, you know ba- basically as you know a com- a combo guard um, type type of player doing that at like six nine. Toronto just doesn't have really the size and length on the on the wing to be able to handle him i mean they have damari carroll but since he's come to toronto he's kind of been a little um or he's either been injured or just kind of out of sorts um and he just 
it's a bad matchup when he, when he's when he's on uh, when he's on LeBron. I mean, they've got they've got guys like Norman Powell. They've got Terrence Ross. DeRozan's a pretty good defender. They can stick with so uh, most of the other guys um, on the on the perimeter for the for the Cavs. The problem is the Cavs can go small against them with LeBron at the four, and they just don't have an answer for that. They don't have a guy who can. Um, a guy who can defend him competently, um, as well as defend all of the other um, shooters around the floor, and I think that's kind of their biggest in- issue. I would, if I was ter- uh, Toronto and I was looking at, you know, what type, of, what type of player could I potentially add at the trade deadline to, you know, really give give them the um, advantage over. Um, in the Cleveland matchup, you know, I'm I'm looking to a guy that can a guy who's long longer than a guy like DeRozan mm-hmm. um a guy who a guy who can switch um uh, or who can play uh play on LeBron a majority of the time and switch onto the quicker guards um and potentially guard up to Kevin Love they just really don't have like that positionless defender like an Andre Iguodala type um that you need to really give the Cavs issues they're they're really sound kind of one through five defensively um at those spots but it's when you get that flexibility um in in your lineups especially when you go small that that get that gives them issues because Valanciunas can't guard on the perimeter Patrick Patterson he can but he can't defend the quick the quickest guys out there um Pascal Siakam he can he can defend those guys but he's all he's a a rookie and b is going to give you nothing on the offensive end if you have to play him big minutes um they're really they're really missing a guy who can um who can kind of cover up um multiple multiple positions and just kind of just kind of fill in wherever uh wherever they need again against cleveland because right now you know they're they're just a little bit limited on the defensive side of things right and you know it's not just them though like every team in the league has matchup problems when it comes to lebron nobody has a guy that can guard him nobody can guard him it's just he is that guy he's unguardable i mean even iguodala you mentioned he does a really fantastic job on lebron as much as he can Mm-hmm. But even Iguodala can't stop him. Like, nobody can stop LeBron. And I think that's, you know, until he's over the hill or until he, like, starts taking a step back, I don't I don't know, man. I, I mean, he's been to, what, six straight finals now? There's mm-hmm. just he, – he's automatically just putting your team in the playoffs at least, at the very least, and, you know, and most likely the championship. He's just that good. I mean – it's just kind of unfair. I guess it's sort of the same thing that happened when Michael Jordan was in the league, right? There was really great teams. Like, Barkley was a really great player, and he just could not get past Jordan. He just couldn't do it. I mean, like, I guess they only met in the championship once. But, um, but yeah, man, like, you know, I, I don't even – like, that's the thing. Like, what do you do? Like, you'd have to have some really great scheme to be able to combat him. Um, and I just don't – I don't know if there's anybody in the East that can do it. I mean, the only the only team that seems to match up to me is the Warriors, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and it's it's really, you know, they're, you're not so much making it so that LeBron stopped. You just have to make him work. Um, right. you, you really just have to make him kind of grind out possessions. You have to make him 
figure out ways to beat you consistently. Um, because if you if you can get if you can get him away from his normal game, if you can get him away away from you know dribbling a few times, fire uh, firing up a, a three, or you know being able to find uh, find the weak spot in wh- whatever perimeter defender is guarding him, and you know either either shooting from outside or getting um, getting into the lane. I really think that that's when you, that's when you have the advantage when you can start forcing him into the post when you can start forcing the Cavs to rely on him as a screener instead of a ball handler mm-hmm. those are the things those are the things that you know give you the advantage because while they're still going to have success because of who LeBron is and who they have around him it's not going to be as efficient as when they're doing what they want to do. And that's what we've seen in the playoffs um, so far in these last two years is the teams who have challenged the Cavs the most are the teams who can get them deviated away from what they want to do. The the um, The most prominent example of that is the Hawks. I mean, the the Hawks let the Cavs for two years in a row do everything that they possibly wanted to do on the offensive end. They let them move the ball at will. They let them drive to the lane. They let them um, they let them out rebound them on the offensive end. Every everything that the that the Hawks did defensively was basically saying, okay, the Cavs are going to do this. Well, we're going to def- we're going to defend that and we're going to react to what they're doing. That's kind of that's kind of what it felt like whereas teams mm-hmm. like the Raptors and teams like the Warriors that have given the Cavs issues, you know, they've done a good job of uh, figuring out ways to make LeBron beat them in ways that aren't his bread and butter. And that's that's the way that you're going to get games against this Cavaliers team if you can get them um, out of sync offensively. That's your that's your biggest uh, or that's that's your biggest weapon because they're not going to do that to you on, on the defensive end. They're not going to turn around and be able to uh, really do that. Um, the, the Cavs defensively really their big, their biggest go-to is we're going to, we're going to out physical you um, on the, on the defensive end. And that's kind of, that's kind of how they, um, how they try to disrupt. They don't really have the schematic um, moves to, uh, to really uh, make a huge difference. Um, so if you can if you can put them in a little bit of a bind strategically on the offensive end, you're going to win that efficiency, or you're going to get a better shot at winning that efficiency battle. Right. Uh, well, you know, since we're speaking of LeBron's greatness, why don't we mention the fact that, or I'll let me mention the fact that, uh, so LeBron just passed Elvin Hayes for the ninth all-time in scoring, right? 27,000 points, which is a ton of points. And I think he's the youngest to crack the top 10 in scoring. Is that right? Yep. And then he went on and just reached the, uh, he was the only player ever to reach the 7,000 assists, 27,000 points mark, and 7,000 rebounds. So this is an incredible feat. And he's still only, what, 32? This is like his 14th season, I think. Mm-hmm. Man, like, what, what would it take? for him to be considered the greatest of all time at this point. Yeah. I mean, the, he's got a great shot at the scoring title, which is, um, which I think, I think he's got to average like 21 or 22 points per game over the next seven years. 
um, playing at like 74 to 70, 76 games a season, which is doable. It's, I mean, what he, it's what he's done basically every season of his career. And I think he'll be able to, um, I think he'll be able to at least, uh, at least approach that. He's got a few more years of, I think of averaging around 24, 25 points per game, even if he dips off, um, at the end. Right. Uh, so, you know, you know, he's got, he's got that part. He's got the rings, um, you know. Kobe fans and Jordan fans, they can they can make the argument of th- what uh, three versus five or three versus six all you want, but I mean, he's been in the finals six or eight years and went to another finals with potentially the worst finals roster outside of him that we've ever seen. Right. Um, 07 Cavs team. Um, so I think I think the winning argument has been settled. He's won it. He's won enough. Um, to be to be in this conversation, um, I think he's I think he's the best passer of any of the true elites um, because I I think that you can put his passing on par with Magic Johnson. I think the only reason that the only reason that you know his, his assist numbers are a little bit wo- are are much lower than Magic is Magic played primarily as a point guard for for his entire career. Right. Um, so of course he was going to average you know, uh, 10, 11, 12 assists, um, per game when he, when he was, uh, when he had that level of passing ability, LeBron has the same exact type of uh, passing ability. He's that, he's that good. And we've seen it this year. He's averaging 9.0 assists per game, which is a career high. Um, and you know, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head where he is on the, uh, on the leaderboard for this season, um, in assists, He's sixth in the entire league in assists, and he's a, and he's playing, um, you know, he's he's basically playing as the cat as the Cavs point guard, but a six nine, two hundred and fifty pound dude, um, who's basically built like a power forward, is sixth in the league in assists. Right. That's insane. It's insane. I mean, part of the reason he's so goddamn good and and has been for so long is just his physical makeup, like. You could you you could only make him in like a lab, right? <laughs> like he's like he's like an NBA two K player. Like let's yeah. make the best player ever, and you're gonna make him LeBron every time. Like you know he can guard one through five. It's insane. He has the passing ability of like your elite point guards. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, and I think honestly, like if we're judging him by titles, that seems at this point to be sort of a superficial way to judge a person's greatness. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, he's been there so many times. He hasn't won them all, but um, but like, does it does it really matter? Like, after you get three, does it really matter? I mean, like, the, we we've seen the feats he's done on the on the court. We've seen the teams he's ta- he's taken to the finals. Like, what else does the man need to do? He's setting records like every year, and yeah, he's still so far from. I mean, it's I know it's premature to talk about it because his career is not over. He's got another like five or six years left at least, right? Mm-hmm. At and, least. Yeah, at least. And so by the time he's done, you got to imagine, like we were talking a little bit about the scoring record. Like, if he either averages 22 points a game for the next, would you say, six years? Uh, it's six or seven. I can't remember. Right. So he's he's averaging 25 right now. Like, you've got to imagine the next four or five years, he'll, sleep, he'll still keep averaging, like, 25, which I think is, like, pretty standard for him, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think he has a real shot at getting this, well... I don't know. The scoring title is going to be a tough one, but I think he's got a shot. And if he does that, suppose he does that and he never gets another title. Do we still like, is that still how we're going to 
I know Kareem is the, the scoring leader, right? And we don't consider him the greatest of all time, but I, I'm just wondering, like, is that what we really measure our, our greatest of all time by? Like the, the number of championships they've got? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a really superficial argument, especially when you're looking at looking at LeBron. I mean, he is without a doubt the most physically imposing player that we have ever seen in the league. Um, I I mean, he ju- he just you the amount of things that he can do for his size is, is insane, and that I think is the difference and what separates him from you know everybody else at his position. Um, I. Th- I that's what puts him above a guy like Larry Bird. That's what puts him ahead of a guy like Kobe Bryant for me is the fact that, you know, he's he's a guy who's playing on the wing a majority of the time, and he's averaging set between six and eight rebounds per game. He's averaging between six and nine assists per game. He's dumping in 25 to 30 points a game. He's a decent to uh, he's a decent to good three-point shooter. Um, he's one of the best finishers we've ever seen at the rim. He's a really good defender when he um, now when he's locked in, he's not re- he's not really um, you know at that elite level before, but you know, in his in his absolute prime, you weren't scoring on him. Really, the only weakness in his game, I think, is free throw shooting. And you know, I'm talking about a little bit of a weakness there. He's a 74 percent career uh, free throw shooter. Right. I mean, he if he was above if he was up in like the 77, 78 range. I mean, you look at you look at his basketball reference page, and it's like, okay, find the hole. Right. Like, where is the, where is the problem? that you have in his statistical profile. Um, because, you know, just, I, I just don't see it. Um, and I, th- I think that's what's, that's what puts him on, on this level. I think is, you know, he doesn't have, he doesn't have all the titles that guys like Jordan have. He doesn't have all the, uh, scoring accolades like a guy like, uh, or like George, like Jordan does, like a guy like Shaq does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't have, he doesn't have the, the assist numbers of the elite point guards, but it's the total package. You know, it's, it's, it's just the fact that, you know, we have a player who is this dominant has been this dominant for this long has been this consistently dominant for this long and has made, you know, he's made seven finals appearances. That's that's insane. And I, I hate the argument of, oh, well, he only won three of those seven. Yeah, he only won three of those seven. But you say that and that that, you know, you say that as if that he lost to bad teams once he got there. I mean, right. 2011. Yeah, whatever. But two Spurs teams and this Warriors team are the other three finals losses like Really, there's only one finals that you can look at and you can say, okay, LeBron definitely, you know, should take should take some criticism for the fact that his team lost in that. I mean, was that the first year in Miami? Was that the first year in Miami? Yeah, yeah. And then Dallas title, right, right, the Dallas title. But then, like, yeah, the Spurs, like one of the greatest passing teams of all time, he came up against. Another time, I don't know. I think this was the other. was that the same time when they had to turn up, turn off the AC to get him to be exhausted? <laughs> I forget. Yeah, I think that was 2014. <laughs> no, that was 2013. Four, 13, okay, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? But, yeah, I mean, every every time I, every time I hear that that argument of uh, of that, I just want to point to, two, to 
2007. I'm just going to read or I'm just going to read you off a few of, of the names of players who were playing um, big big minutes on that 2007 uh, Cavs team. Please do so. So we got um, LeBron second most in minutes per game or in minutes per game in the playoffs would have been would have been Larry Hughes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Zydrin Sokowskis, <laughs> who actually was probably the second best player on the team. Yeah, for sure. Fourth, Sasha Pavlovich. Fifth, Drew Gooden. Sixth, a 24-year-old Anderson Varejao. Seventh, a 20-year-old Daniel Gibson. Like, that's granted, Varejao and Gibson, they had pretty good careers. Yeah, that's not when they were. That's not when they were when they were at their best. You got Drew Gooden playing huge minutes. You've got Sasha Pavlovich basically playing. Shooting guard, shooting guard minutes, defending, um, uh, or def- usually defending one of the te- one of the other team's best wing players. Um, you know, you, this is basically a lineup with two players who I think were were good enough to get rotation minutes on that Spurs team. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear <laughs> hear the uh, um, the the three and four comments. Like it just. No. Yeah, it's it's kind of unfair. It's a very it's un, it's very when you read that it makes everyone who's listening to this should be ashamed of themselves for saying it if they've ever said it. Uh, <laughs> that's a really unfair team. That's even worse than the uh, the 2001 Sixers team that Iverson took the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Sixers again. Me and the Sixers. I can't help it. Um, anyway, well, listen. Like, let's not. We're not. We're not being LeBron apologists here or creating a false narrative. I mean, that actually was it was the team he played with and made it to the championships the first time. Um, but about this year, like, do you think he's got a legit chance for uh, another MVP? Um, I, I think he's get, I think he's definitely got a legit chance. I mean, the fact that the fact that he's like completely kind of, kind of retooled his role in the offense. Um, I think, I think it's the biggest thing that does it for me. I, you know, the the Cavs have been playing have been playing at this at this really high level, and a lot of it a lot of it has come because of the fact that LeBron has taken a step back from the scoring role and has become more of a facilitator. It's opened up sh- it's opened up opportunities for their other players to be great. Kyrie Irving's having the best season of his of his career. Kevin Love is having the best season of his career outside of that two thousand I uh, I think. 2014 season um with the with the Timberwolves mm-hmm. uh Channing Frye is having in a, a ridiculous season Tristan Thompson's having the one of the best probably the second best year of his career like everybody on this team is clicking on all cylinders and it's because of LeBron it's because LeBron's been able to find um find guys in the right spots um it's it's because he's allowed love to be able to get those primary scoring opportunities it's because you know him and Kyrie have this brilliant offensive symbiosis that um just leads to leads to both of them being able to um perform at the best level or at the best of their abilities um and and you know I think I think that him being on the ball and initiating things more, you know, it bends the defense a little bit more in ways that open things up for guys like uh, Thompson, guys like Iman Shumpert, guys like Fry, who have been playing really well this year. Um, so, With the one exception being JR, who's not been playing really well, right? Has he come around yeah. yet? 
Um, you know, you know, he's had a few games in the past couple of weeks that have that have been pretty solid. Um, he had a pretty strong game in the in the Grizzlies game, um, where uh, Kyrie was sitting. I think he had 23 points. Um, you know, he's coming back around, but I think a lot of that has to do with um the contract situation and the fact that you know you've got J.R. Smith playing himself into shape, which is a terrifying prospect. Right. So of course he's not playing well. Um. But you know, but you know, just the the overall makeup makeup of the of the team's success, a lot of it's stemming from LeBron, and I think that's why he's I, I think that's why you know he he should be in the conversation. I don't think he's going to win it this year. I think it's going to be one of one of either Westbrook and all of his triple doubles, or James Harden if he continues to do everything that he's doing for the Rockets, and the Rockets continue to be this good. Right. Um, I I think one of those one of those two will take it, but he's definitely. I would definitely have him third on my ballot right now. Um, probably, probably ahead of both Durant and Curry um, from Golden State, um, and behind Westbrook and Harden. Just be, just because you know he's taking more of a kind of a passive approach to being the MVP, where Harden and Westbrook have this very, have been these very active, you know, universal talents. Um, LeBron's taking kind of a kind of a. Uh, um, kind of, kind of a passive way to to get into this conversation, but he's very much in the conversation. Yeah, I would agree with that totally. And I think for LeBron, it probably is a, an award that matters much less for him because, like, again, it's the regular season, and they're pretty much coasting. They're this good right now, and they're coasting. He's trying to save his energy, and he's working toward the playoffs, and that's when he's going to turn it on. Like you mentioned about his defense earlier, we're going to see that defense again and come playoff time. He's, you know. I'm not saying he's checked out. The Cavs aren't checked out by any means, but they haven't turned it up yet. They have another gear to get to. And, yeah. you know, if he no, was going to... No, he, he, he's pretty checked out defensively. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, he's not as bad as last year. Last year, he you could tell basically from about mid-December until about the first week of April, he was absolutely checked out defensively unless it was a big game um his off the ball defense was very bad um this year this year it's been it's been better um and you know it hasn't been as as um obvious that that he's kind of taking that time off but um you know he's still not he's still not operating at an elite level on the defensive end or even you know some games he's not even operating at a at a acceptable level from what we would expect from him well and still i think that you know that's as a result of like a he's averaged you know he's he's been been the six straight finals he's he's averaged an entire season more playing than anybody else in the league at this point right so he's got one season up on everybody in the same amount of time that's an that's an insane amount of playing time that's a huge drain on your body and the other thing is like again i think that he's i mean he's obviously very aware of his own legacy and knows that, like, we do judge the greatest of all time by how many titles you've got, you know? So he's obviously going to keep something in the bag until the, the playoffs come and, and the finals come. And I don't really begrudge him for that. I mean, I think I think his defense is probably where it needs to be for now, you know? I don't think he's, he's certainly not a drag on the team defensively. Um, yeah, he's, yeah this, this year he's in a lot better place. Last year it was affecting the team's overall defense. Uh, that might also have been like as a result of like switching coaches and everything too. There was, that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I wanted to ask about like so. 
Lou, as a coach, he's gotten them over the hump. And I, he took over, what, mid-season last year? Or was it closer to yeah. the beginning of the season? Yeah, like late, late January last year. Okay, so late January, right. So right around, you know, like a month from now. Um, and the team seems to have gelled in a way that wasn't happening under David Blatt. Now, my question is, do you really think that... Because, like, LeBron has a way of making his coaches look like geniuses. Um, my question is, like, is... is Tyrone Lue that much better of a coach than David Blatt or is he just better at managing his players like it seems like they rallied around him because he's more of a player's coach and he he seems like he's because he's not that far removed from playing you know um Mm -hmm. what do you what do you think what are your thoughts I don't you know the coaching thing like I'm not I'm I've never coached I don't understand the game well enough to to ever try and coach a game but uh what are your thoughts about it I, I think I think you hit the hit the nail on the head. He he's not a better coach than David Blatt. I think he's a better fit for the for this team. Um, you know, I, I've I'm kind of in a unique um, in a unique spot to talk to talk about Blatt just because I do cover the Euro stuff um, pretty closely and mm-hmm. I've followed him before and I've followed him since because he's back over in Turkey now. David Blatt's a really good coach. He's a re, he gets the he gets the most out of uh, out of players um at the at the european level um he does a really good job of showcasing guys who play like lebron um he meaning that he he's really good working with guys who are kind of dribble drive wings mm-hmm. uh, and you know he he ha, he is a he's adaptable um uh strategically um, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't mind changing, changing his system to fit his players needs. Um, you know, he, he's a really good, he's a really good technical coach. He's not a very good fit at manage, managing the locker room style of an elite NBA team. You know, if, if David Blatt had come in and he was coaching what the Cavs were in 2013, 2014, I think he would have fared a lot better, mm-hmm. um, than, than with that LeBron team. Wu, I think, is also a very good um, technical coach. I don't think he's as good as as good as Blatt, but he's done a fantastic job um, with with some of the um, some of the adjustments that he's made in games, some of the adjustments that he's made over the course of a series. Um, I, I think that he's done he's done a really good job on that end. But the the main reason that he took them to this next level in the, in the playoffs and was able to get them are and has them connecting so well this season. He, he just reach, he just reaches guys. Um, he, he's a really, he's really good. Um, he's really good at managing, managing LeBron and his role in the locker room. Um, he's, he's been great with Kyrie Irving. He's been fantastic with J.R. Smith. Um, and you know, even even down the line, managing the minutes and managing the roles of the older guys like Mike Dunleavy, Richard Jefferson, James Jones, um, b- being able to help those guys kind of manage. You know, okay, here's when you're gonna get, here's when you're gonna get uh, your playing time. Here's how you're gonna help us in key situations, and here's how you're gonna help us when we're practicing, when we're on the buses, when um, when we're on planes at team meals. These these types of things. I think I think that he's really good at using his veterans as an extension of himself mm-hmm. um, to be to be able to reach some of the uh, some of the younger players or some of the more standoffish players. Um, so I, I really think that I really think that, you know, he and a lot of that does, I think, come from the fact that he played the fact that he's coming from the um, 
the Doc Rivers tree, um, which that's always been one of the best uh, the best things about Doc as a coach is he does a really really good job of managing his locker room and creating team unity. Right. Um, and Lou's taking some of those lessons, and you know I th- I think he he's just a guy that has been in a bunch of locker rooms. He played with a bunch of different teams and a bunch of different situations over the course of his career. He's, he's just a guy that, that understands that side of the game. And I think when you put that with his, um, or with his on court, um, you know, tech technicals, uh, coaching skills, um, that that's, what's made him the big, the big difference here. I think, I think he's, he doesn't get the, the, the credit that, um, you know, guys, uh, other guys do because of the fact that he has LeBron, but he's definitely a top 10 coach in my mind. Yeah. And it seems like other, other teams were actually considering him for head coach too. I think the Cavs were happy to have him on their bench and then be able to promote him. Um, but then, you know, that, that, uh, I totally agree with everything you're saying there. It just make it makes me think like, what do you think the greatest moment of his basketball career has been? And I, I wrote this to you, uh, when we were talking about like what we were going to talk about, um, do you think it was like being the coach that brought the only team in NBA history back from a 3-1 deficit to win the championship? Or do you think it was winning that championship with the Lakers in 2001 as a player? I've got to imagine for me, you, you probably always like divert to being a player and actually doing it on the court. But still, as a coach, that has to be an amazing, amazing feeling and an amazing achievement, you know? Yeah, I, I I feel like you know that's a that's a really tough question to answer because I do feel I do feel like the winning it as a player um, is, is what most guys would take. But I mean, he's he's on one of the most famous basketball plays of the millennium, and it's not because of anything he did well from that finals. <laughs> um, so you know, I don't I don't you mean know the step if, over. Yeah, I don't know if he th- if he thinks about that and factors that into his decision. Um, but I, got, he, I would hope no. so. I, just so everybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, the, the Iverson step over in two thousand one in the playoffs when when Lou was guarding him and uh, and Iverson hit the three and and Lou fell down and Iverson stepped over him and it's been immortalized in like posters and and photos everywhere. You can just look it up on the internet. It's it's, it's great. But go on. I'm sorry. But yeah, I I just I just feel like. You know, I, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting question and one that I hope that he gets asked at some point. Um, yeah. Is is just what what meant more to you, winning as a as a as you know, kind of a fringe rotation player on the, you know one of the most dominant playoff teams that we've ever seen, or stepping in midseason and leading this team as one of the one of the biggest factors in them beating or being able to beat the best team of all time. It's, yeah. it's a, it's an, it's a very, very interesting um, inter- or interesting question that I, I don't know the answer either. Well, here's my gift so, to you. If you ever get to talk to him, take that question and ask him. <laughs> I, yeah, want, I, I might get, try to get my editor at fear of the sword who covers games regularly. I, I should, uh, I should see if I can, if I can slide that in, if he goes and covers, covers a game, do it and give me a full report. I want to know what he says. Yeah, he was a fringe player on that Lakers team. Not a fringe player, but I mean, you know, he was coming off the bench, right? Yeah. And he wasn't, wasn't playing a ton. No, and he was important to that team, but that team would have won the championship regardless. Um, mm. I got to feel like it maybe being the coach of the, you know, th- this that Cavs team last year is historic. It will go down in the pages 
of NBA history, and he was the head coach. That's got to be more important, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's I mean, there, there's definitely there's definitely been other um, guys who have been sim- in similar situation um, oh, uh, throughout NBA history. I mean, your your boy Billy Cunningham hmm. um, won one as a player, won one as a um, as a coach um, with with the Sixers. So um, there's there's definitely been. There's there's definitely been guys who've done both, but never one who was kind of like a uh, kind of that far down the depth chart um, yeah. as the, as the player, or one who obviously beat the seventy three and nine Warriors uh, when they had a three one lead and the unanimous MVP. Yeah, speaking so of what this conversation distract you from. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the Warriors, so the the Cavs and the Warriors are playing Christmas Day. Are you excited? Um, I, I don't, I haven't really gotten up for the, the Cavs Warriors Christmas games. Um, last year, last year I didn't, and you know, I'm not really up for it this year just because, you know, the Warriors are probably going to win. Um, (laughs) and I don't, I don't think that there's a, I don't think that there's a real strong, um, Obviously, this year I think there is more than more than last year, just because you know the Cavs fired David Blatt like a week after right. this game, um, so it it kind of threw that kind of threw everything to the wind. But I think if 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 everybody's playing um, in in this one, this one's going to go a longer way to you know telling us a little bit about how the how the Cavs match up with this Warriors team. So I'm more, I'm more excited about this year than last year, just because I think we're going to be able to tell a little bit more. Um, but at, at the same time, I mean, I, I could very easily see the Warriors just getting, just getting a slight advantage. And then the Cavs just kind of folding um, just, either just because they don't want to, um, or either because they get frustrated or because they just don't want to show a ton. Yeah. Um, I- I was going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was going to say, like, yeah, I mean, the, the Warriors obviously have more to prove at this point, right? They need to come out and show that, look, we're we're not going to lay down, you're not going to beat us again, right? And the, and they have a harder conference. So if the if the Cavs come out and they're getting beat a little bit, they can, they can coast. It's fine. They're, you know, they're going to take the East. It's probably not even a question right now at this point. Um I definitely think the Warriors have more to prove. What were you going to say? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off again. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that I uh, I think that they def they definitely do because oh man, if they lose this game, <laughs> um, the pressures the pressures on the on the Warriors just because I think of the of the situation. I mean, it's it's different than the Cavs losing Christmas Day to the Warriors last year. Right. The the Cav the Cavs, you know, they they. Were they weren't good enough to beat the Warriors, and then in that game they still weren't good enough to beat the Warriors. Um, the the Cavs didn't add a generational talent over the or, or in the interim between those two events occurring. Right, exactly. Um, and that so I think that that's a huge part of it. And then also the fact that you know psychologically this is this is going to be kind of a little bit of a dagger if the if the Cavs are able to win at Golden State. Um, just because this is, are they really, um, like it, it, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot to kind of reconcile. Okay. That whatever the finals were fluky, we're better. We, we can handle this team. And then just, Oh no, we, we still couldn't do it. 
Yeah, adding Kevin Durant and you still can't beat them. That oh my god, I could actually see that putting put. I could see that loss maybe putting them into a little bit of a tailspin for a few games to come. I don't. I think they would correct it obviously really quickly, but I definitely think the Warriors have more to prove here. Yeah, for sure. And you know, as a Cavs fan, if you were a Cavs fan like you are, um, I wouldn't be upset at a Cavs loss. Honestly, it's, it's just you know it'll be a fun game regardless. I would love to see them both come out swinging. And prove, you know, or act like they have something to prove and give the fans like a really entertaining game. But ultimately, I think it definitely means more for the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are going to there are going to be people who will who will take the take this seriously if the if the Cavs lose and the, the, the you know, the narrative will kind of be, oh, the, the Cavs are um, the Cavs aren't going to be able to do this. They aren't. They are going to be able to beat the Warriors if they have to play them again in the finals. Um, or you know, they're they're another step behind this team. Um, but you know, I, I think I think the people who pay attention to the um, pay attention to kind of how this team operates um, on the on that kind of chemistry level and on that um, kind of game to game level. Um, I, I think that I think that there's gonna there's gonna be a good um, good number of Cavs fans who are gonna say doesn't really matter. We still have another game against this team in the regular season. Mm-hmm. We it doesn't matter for the playoffs at all, and we still have the title. And they still so, have LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> and as long as you got LeBron, you've got a damn good shot. Exactly. Every day that we get closer to the to the finals is another day that Andre Iguodala gets older. And that's true. It's it's another day that um, it's another day that the that the Warriors still don't have a functional center outside of Draymond Green. Also like true. There, there, there are uh, there are definitely um, there are definitely you know silver linings for the for the Cavs regardless of outcome um, in the in this game. Yeah, and honestly, it's no guarantee that that the uh, the Warriors will even make it. Who knows? The Spurs look really good. Yeah, that that uh, Raptors Clippers finals is going to be pretty is going to be pretty exciting. That would be really that's going to be a great series if it gets there. Um, mm-hmm. One other thing I did want to mention though is, uh, did you see that that Cavs Rick Hastley uh, tribute video they did? Not tribute video, but like parody video. I did. Oh my god, the thing was amazing. What do you think? I want your thoughts. The, it, it, the this Cav, this Cavs team is so fun. Um, <laughs> they they just they just do not care. Um, like that, and they're kind of embodying the fan base a little bit because this summer was a pr- was a pretty petty time in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, with the three one jokes, um, things things like that. Um, poking poking fun at the Warriors players in the uh, in the during the Olympics. Um, Even all and, the way up to Halloween, know, when LeBron had his Halloween party, he was still doing three one like gravestone cookies exact, or something. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, there, there's been that the, um, uh, you know, stuff stuff like that. Uh, they, there have been a few interviews that have been kind of in a in a similar similar vein. Um, you, you know, this this team's just really loose, and it a lot it affords them the ability to be able to do this stuff because. Which which is great because I mean this collection this collection of players not only are they absurdly talented and not only are they, um, you know one of the, one of the one of the best teams in the league like this is just a fun group of guys to follow I mean you got LeBron who's one of the corniest guys in the league <laughs> um, Richard Jefferson who's just this fantastic um, this fantastic dude to, um, 
watch do interviews and things. If you don't follow him on Snapchat, you absolutely have to, um, just because he's hysterical. You've got um, you've got Kyrie Irving, who's the super ch- super chill guy. Um, Tristan Thompson, who's secretly one of the funnier players in the league. Um, you know th- this this and they all get along and it's it's just so fun it's so fun to watch like the social media side of things for this team just yeah. because they um you know they seem really a really relaxed and b they're just they're just funny like this is just a funny creative happy-go-lucky group of guys and you know that's that's really great to see um Mainly because you know not a, not every every NBA team has that. I mean, even even the Warriors like even, even the Warriors don't seem like they're having fun. No, now, the Warriors. Yeah, the Warriors kind of just like rub it in your face, sort of when they're having fun. You know, the Cavs are just they just seem like they're genuinely just enjoying each other's company and having a good time. That that yeah. that video was man, it cracked me up. It was awesome, and um, some of the guys actually looked really good in those '80s uniform or '80s attire, like. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the way Kyrie dresses all the time, anyway, right? And Jr. Man, he was wearing some really shiny shirt. I just it looked really good on him. Yeah, their <laughs> their Halloween costumes the past couple of years have been have been on point. Yeah, this is a like this is also a very well dressed team. Yeah, but I love the fashion shows leading into the to the arenas, man. It's like the best thing for me. It's like, damn, I gotta steal some of these looks if I could. <laughs> But anyway, man, uh, I'm gonna. We should probably wrap it up. We're going a little bit long here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Trevor, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, I'm definitely gonna have to have you on again when the playoffs come. We could talk some more Cavs and see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, great. It's been fun. Yeah, plug your uh, stuff one more time, and we'll get out of here. Yeah. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at Illegal Screens. Um, you can uh, you can find my Cavs writing at Fear the Sword. Um, you can find my other writing at Fansided the Step Back, um, which is going to be more draft related, more um, European basketball related. Um, but uh, there's a little Cavs stuff in there as well. Um, and yeah, uh, that's good. That's kind of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, I'll be in touch, man. All right. Take care. Take care. Well, there you go, everybody. That was Trevor Magnati. You can follow him. And you can also follow the Superflight Podcast at Superflight Pod on Twitter and Stitcher on iTunes and Google Play and yada, 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 wherever else you find these things. Um, anyway, so that was this week's episode. And we'll have more for you coming up. I think we're going to have a couple of return guests. You know, maybe the week bef- between Christmas and New Year's, I can get one out for you so you guys have something to do while you're being miserable going back to work. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's been real, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Cabela's is coming to Northern Virginia with a spectacular new store in Gainesville. Find everything you need for hunting, fishing, camping, and shooting sports, plus much more. Join us for our grand opening celebration Thursday, March 9th at 10 a.m. Be one of the first 500 in line and receive a Cabela's gift card worth up to $500, plus a chance to win one of three Remington firearms. See store for details. Don't miss Cabela's grand opening in Gainesville, located off I-66 and Highway 29 near Virginia Gateway. 